You're listening to Healthy House Calls with Angel, episode number two. Hello, welcome to Healthy House Calls with Angel. I am your host, Angel Shannon, giving you tips, tools, and holistic strategies to live a healthier life by intentional design. Join me as we explore the landscape of lifestyle medicine, offering practical tips that help you eat, sleep, move, and live better, and help you become fit and functional for life. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the second episode of Healthy House Calls with Angel and the Fit and Functional for Life community. I'm Angel Shannon, your host, and I want to welcome you to a community that believes that good health is the first wealth. And it's so much more than just a normal physical and the weight on a scale. Good health is also the sense of harmony, balance, peace, purpose, and fulfillment we feel in our lives. Now, if you're brand new to our community, here's what I'd like you to know. We're a community that believes first and foremost that health is the first wealth. And because of that, we declare our physical, mental, and spiritual well-being to be our single most important priority. We value knowledge, wisdom, and most importantly, personal transformation. We take our health into our own hands by being informed and empowered, taking action and holding ourselves accountable. We prioritize rest, movement, mindfulness, optimal nutrition, spiritual growth, and meaningful work that aligns with our life's purpose. In a nutshell, we're a community that desires to be fit and functional, not just for a day, not just for an event, but fit and functional for life. So welcome to the second episode. I want to jump into something that I think is so important. In my clinical practice, I often have patients tell me that they've been told by their previous healthcare provider and by their friends and by Google that vitamins and supplements aren't necessary, that you get all that you need from your diet. So March is National Nutrition Month, and I want to unpack that. I want to talk about what you need to know if you're relying on food and food alone to support your nutritional needs. So number one, it's not your grandma's tomato. You know, I say all the time, I spent some of the best years of my childhood on my grandparents' farm down in rural uh, Georgia with my brothers and sisters. And I know a whole lot about farming and growing your own food. I'm also a master gardener and I love growing my own food. There was a time when our grandparents and great-grandparents farmed and saved their seeds from season to season, handed them down to the next generation. And we knew that those seeds had been safely stored and lovingly cared for. We call them heirloom seeds or heritage seeds. And heritage seeds are old seed varieties created by centuries of open pollination by birds, insects, wind, or other natural means. Heritage seeds are often passed down, as I said, through generations in a family. But nowadays you can 
sometimes get them from companies or local farmers. And some in the seed saving community say that a seed has to be at least 100 years old to be considered an heirloom. And others say that it has to have originated before the widespread plant hybridization movement in the wake of World War II. In any case, the seeds inside heirloom produce can be saved and planted countless times over and over with nearly the same result. And for most farmers, this is what made heirloom farming more stable and economical. Heirloom produce is most often grown organically, and the uh, produce benefits from maturing in soil that's virtually uncontaminated by pesticides. Um, the produce often contains more minerals from healthy soil and more overall nutritional value than hybrid and GMO produce. And I'm going to get into this GMO in just a second. But this higher concentration of nutrients and minerals it is what makes heirloom produce so much more flavorful, so much more nutritious. And passing down the family heirloom seeds was common practice. Many families had their own varieties of vegetables and fruits, giving us some of these amusing varieties like Aunt Ruby's German Green and Boxcar Willie and my personal favorite, Anna Kentucky Tomatoes. And I will say this, if you've had an heirloom tomato, a real heirloom tomato, you will know the difference. You will taste the difference and you will never, ever, ever want to have any tomato that is not an heirloom tomato. Sadly, nowadays, it's not always the case that you're eating heirloom produce. In fact, much of what's grown today and what's on your shelf at the local grocer's is the result of genetic engineering and genetic modification. So let's talk about that. Genetically modified organisms or GMOs. Now, by definition, a GMO or genetically modified organism is a plant, animal, microorganism, or other organism whose genetic makeup has been modified in a laboratory using genetic engineering or transgenic technology. This creates combinations of plant, animal, bacterial, and virus genes that do not occur in nature or through traditional crossbreeding methods. So I want to say, again, this creates combinations of plant, animal, bacterial, and virus genes that do not occur in nature. Now, those who support GMO farming will often say that the purpose of GMO is twofold. One, to increase the yield or how much crop or produce you get in a season. And two, to increase the resistance to pests and or weather conditions. So just keep that in the back of your mind and let's talk about how GMO is done. So a little bit of science here. Every living thing contains genetic code or DNA. The science behind GMO basically involves inserting DNA into the genome of another of an organism and or splicing the genes together to create new ones that never existed before. To produce a GM plant, new DNA is transferred into plant cells. Usually the cells are then grown in tissue culture where they develop into plants. The seeds produced by these plants will inherit the new DNA. Now, how do you get this DNA transferred? One method to get DNA transferred is through a bacterium 
or virus. There are many viruses and many bacteria that will transfer their DNA into a host cell as a normal part of their life cycle. For genetically modified plants, a bacterium most frequently used is called Agrobacterium tumefacerans. Very nice, isn't it? The gene of interest is transferred into the bacterium, in this case, Agrobacterium tumefacerans, and the bacterial cells then transfer the new DNA to the genome of the plant cells. The plant cells that have successfully taken up the DNA are then grown to, cr to create a new plant. Um, all of this is possible because individual plant cells have an impressive capacity to generate entire new plants. There's a little bit more science involved with genetic modification. To insert the new gene, oftentimes antibiotic genes are used as markers to identify which host cells have accepted the inserted foreign genes to ensure that attachment has occurred correctly. Okay, so there are antibiotics involved, antibiotic genes, let me say, involved. Okay, let's get back to that point about pest resistance and why, you know, how this occurs with GMOs. Well, one practice in GMO or genetically modified organism and engineering is the splicing of chemical pesticides directly into the plant cell to hopefully, and let me underscore, hopefully reduce the need for further pesticides so that, okay, you've got this chemical pesticide that has been directly implanted into the plant cell with the hope that this plant will be resistant to pests and weather conditions and things like this. And in an ideal world, that would be great. But what often ha winds up happening is that the farmer does indeed need to use some sort of pesticide, weather being weather, environment being environment, you know, this year, cicadas being cicadas, right? So ultimately, there's some sort of pesticide involved. And the additional use of pesticide only increases the saturation level of pesticide in the produce. Now, as I said, I grow my own food, so I know this to be a fact. You know, to be able to grow food is work. To be able to keep pests off of your produce is even more work. There are methods and we, you know, in, in, in farming, there are pest management methods of all kinds, uh, those that involve chemicals and those that involve barrier methods or other methods. But one way or the other, the whole idea is to preserve the produce. It is very, very difficult to grow food without any barrier of any kind or any kind of pesticide of any kind. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. I can't account for every farm in the nation, but I will say it is work, um, especially when you're looking at high yield uh, produce and high yield farming. So while all of this may sound like fascinating science, the fact of the matter is that crossing tomato plants or crossing plants with an animal gene to make it resistant to certain weather conditions or so that you can grow beautiful watermelons year round is a whole different level of science. And we don't know the repercussions of that. 
It's certainly an issue every person on the planet should be concerned about. We don't know how the crossing of one plant's genes with another can create new proteins that could be toxic, create allergies, create new chronic health conditions. We simply don't know. So how does this affect you as a consumer? Well, in the United States, at least, Congress uh, passed the National Bioengineered Food Disclosure Standard in 2016. This required the United States Department of Agriculture or USDA to establish a labeling standard for GM food, genetically modified food. These requirements were originally set to take effect by July 2018, but the USDA extended that implementation for two years after to allow time for public comment. After that period, after comments were received and concerns by the general public, the USDA then released the official law, which was to be implemented at the beginning of 2020 and basically requires food companies to comply by January 1st, 2022. Now, here's where it gets sticky, really sticky. The law requires labeling on bioengineered foods intended for human consumption that contain more than 5% GMO ingredients. Instances where GMOs do not have to be labeled, according to my research, is foods derived from animals, such as eggs, meat, and milk, refined ingredients like oils and sugars, foods served in a restaurant, foods manufactured and sold by very small manufacturers, such as like local shops, and any non-food products. So here's the sticking point, and I'm sure you picked up on this. If you're eating in a restaurant, do you think there's going to be a disclosure of the oils and sugars in the milk and the eggs that went into making your dish? Highly, highly unlikely that that's going to be disclosed on your food menu. Highly unlikely, okay? So that's something to keep in mind. And that's something to be aware of as a consumer. And it's something to be aware of in terms of your nutrition and relying on food and food alone for optimal nutritional status. So we've talked about GMOs. Let's now dive into reason number two of why food and food alone may be insufficient for supporting your nutritional needs. Reason number two it's not your grandpa's farm. It's not my grandpa's farm. Farming methods have drastically changed. Modern farming methods are nowhere near what they used to be. In fact, family-run farms are on the verge of extinction, sadly. And modern farming methods have truncated the tried and true methods when farmers like my grandma, grandma, Grandpa and grandma grew food in rational proportions, like they weren't, you know, creating enough food to, to feed a small country. They rotated crops seasonally, which is really important, you know, and I know this as a master gardener, that crop rotation can help to main, uh, manage soil and soil fertility, to reduce erosion. It improves your soil's health and ultimately increases the nutrients that are available for crops. And it helps to preserve regional ecosystems. You know, as a master gardener, I always say that food is only as healthy as the soil it's grown in. Irrigation methods, drought, water pollution, 
weather conditions, all of those things contribute to how mineral rich the soil is. You know, it's one thing for a sweet pepper to look good and to taste good, but it has to have nutritional value to be of value to you. What good is a, is a really green pepper that looks good and as big as your hand, but it has no nutritional value? right? Because of the soil that it was grown in. Something I learned as a master gardener is that drought breaks down and concentrates essential nutrients such as uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, boron, and potassium. And let me tell you, when it comes to plants, those nutrients are critical for plant health and plant growth. So drought, as I said, breaks down and concentrates um, essential nutrients into pockets where it's difficult for the plant roots to reach them. On the opposite side of the coin, flooding and precipitation leaches nutrients out of the soil and often erodes the top layer of the soil itself. So again, food is only as healthy as the soil that it's grown in. Drought conditions, flood conditions can change the makeup of soil in a minute. Okay. Reason number three, it's not your grandpa's pickup truck. The distance and transport is huge. You know, a vast amount of the food that we eat is grown so far away from our tables, it's not even funny. Unless you're buying everything you eat from a mom and pop local farmer's market, the truth of the matter is you're now shopping in a global food market. And while that certainly does offer greater cultural diversity and more food choices, it comes at a price. Think about what it takes to keep your food looking good, fresh and shelf stable on that long flight or that long truck ride from one corner of the country to the other. It takes preservatives, which more than likely means another chemical or exposure to cold uh, temperatures to keep it fresh so that it can make it to the supermarket, so that it can survive on the supermarket shelf long enough for you to get it home. I can't tell you the number of times I have purchased produce and literally two days later, it's gone bad. That is not the case when I've purchased, you know, from the farmer's market. So that's that. Um, pesticide use. Admittedly, as a, as a master gardener, I can say there are a wide array of pesticides available to the public that range in toxicity from mild to extremely dangerous. And there are a large number of available products considered organic that are plant-derived, mineral-based, have microbial materials. There are soaps and oils like neem oil that kill penetration and disrupt the cellular membranes of these little soft-bodied insects that find their way into your garden and will kill the insect eggs as, as well. Uh, so there are good organic pesticides on the market. And some people will say that eating all organic is the answer. And to that, I say, according to the National Organic Standards Board, organic does not mean chemical free. It simply means a product labeled organic simply means that the materials and practices uh, engaged um, enhance the ecological balance of natural systems, period. So all of that to say that, you know, there are levels of organic pesticides 
Um, doesn't mean that it's chemical free, just means that whatever has been used is safe for human consumption in some capacity. Okay. Reason number four, environmental factors. It's not your grandpa's environment. Researchers have coined the term body burden to describe the chemical load that each of us is carrying as a result of our exposure to environmental toxins. And that is huge, huge environmental toxins have seeped into our water, into the air and into the food. Now, if you're a seafood lover, lover, you absolutely have to be concerned about the level of mercury in fish. How about the hundreds of thousands of prescriptions that are handed out each day? And what do people do with their unused medications? I know for a fact, I've had patients say to me, oh, well, I just threw it in the trash. Uh, you know, I'm no longer taking 20 milligrams of that. I'm now taking 30 milligrams. I just flushed it down the toilet. Well, what happens with that? Where do you think these substances wind up? Right in our drinking water. In fact, a, a study that I read recently of salmon that was caught in uh, off the coast of the Washington state found that more than 81 pharmaceutical drugs, 81 were, had, had um, 81 pharmaceutical drugs, including antibiotics, antidepressants, even narcotic pain medications had showed up in concentrations in the water. That is huge. What if you're not a person who takes narcotic medications, antidepressants, antibiotics that's in the water where your seafood has been caught. That's huge. Um, there's also, you know, we're living in the age of the pandemic where there's a whole lot of takeout happening. How's your food delivered in styrofoam and plastic containers? And guess what's in styrofoam? A chemical by the name of styrene, which is, a, a, can be at high levels very, very um, um, troubling, um, not healthy, not good for your body. So again, we're talking about nutrition. We're talking about supplementation. We're talking about, you know, all of the things that go into food and food alone as your source of nutrition. Reason number five, what's on your beauty shelf? You know, there's that commercial, what's in your wallet? Well, what's on your beauty shelf? There is a thing that we call in clinical practice EDCs or endocrine disrupting chemicals. There are countless, countless hormone disrupting chemicals in the plastics of our products, some of which bind to cells in our immune system, nervous system, and endocrine systems. Now, what's important to know about EDCs or endocrine disrupting chemicals is that they are easily absorbed into the body and can mimic the action of hormones. They can overstimulate, block, or just completely disrupt the body's natural hormones, sending mixed signals throughout the body. So for example, xenoestrogens are foreign estrogens. They're substances that are close enough in molecular structure to estrogen that they can bind to the estrogen receptor sites and create potentially hazardous outcomes. Um, sources of xenoestrogens include plastics, pesticides, again, chemicals, and water systems. And as I said, a major problem with EDCs is that they can cause weight gain 
insulin resistance, obesity, inflammation. They can even stimulate cells to grow in places that they shouldn't. Um, some examples of EDCs are bisphenol A, BPA, parabens that's found in thousands of foods and cosmetics and pharmaceuticals, phthalates found in hundreds of body products like shampoos, nail polishes, and soaps. And so your body needs certain nutrients to detoxify, to remove certain chemicals and toxins and things like this from the body. Okay. So again, we're still talking about nutrition and nutrition alone for the support of a healthy nutritional balance in the body. While we're talking about endocrine, let's talk about thyroid disrupting chemicals that compete with iodine. Now, iodine is a critical mineral that's needed in order to produce thyroid hormone. Thyroid hormone um, or thyroid disrupting chemicals inhibit the ability to turn inactive T4 into active T3, which results in an underactive thyroid or hypothyroidism. And if you don't know, your thyroid is your body's master thermostat. It's like the master regulator. It regulates metabolism and your thyroid hormones regulate really critical, vital body functions, including breathing, heart rate, central and nervous system functions, your body weight, your muscle strength, menstrual cycles in women, body temperature, cholesterol level. I mean, so much your thyroid is responsible for. Now, the most common thyroid disrupting heavy metals um, that we're usually exposed to are mercury, lead, and cadmium. All of these metals affect the thyroid in one of several ways. They either interfere with uh, iodine, iodine transport into the thyroid or they interfere with the deiodination, the process where T4 becomes T3, the active form of thyroid hormone in the liver and other tissue, or they can flat out block thyroid receptors from accepting thyroid hormones altogether. So sufficient iodine intake, absolutely important. Okay. So we're talking about chemicals and how they interfere with nutrient uptake, nutrient uh, utilization, in the body. Reason number six, your own genetics. We're talking about food. So how is it that my genetics are involved with food, Angel? Well, let me tell you, there's a whole field of science called nutrigenomics, which is the branch of genetic research that studies the effects of food on human gene expression. And it's focused on the ways that genetic variations affect an, an individual's nutritional environment. So did you know that variations in your genetic code called single nucleotide polymorphisms can impact how your body metabolizes the food that you eat and how it utilizes nutrients? Wow. Who knew? Yeah. That's important. Many important bodily functions are regulated by gene expression and variations can impact fat metabolism, insulin production, energy balance, inflammation, appetite, you name it. Let me give you an example. The PPARG gene is the key regulator of lipid or fat and glucose or sugar balance. 
and it's been implicated in a number of diseases such as diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. Some single nucleotide polymorphisms, such as those affecting the LEPR gene, impact the regulation of body weight through leptin receptors found throughout the body and in a little corner of the brain called the hypothalamus. So I say all of this to say that your own genetics and uh, single nucleotide polymorphisms, which is something I test for in my clinical practice, can play a role too. You can be eating all the tomatoes for lycopene you want, or you could be eating all of the, you know, the uh, eggplant or what have you that you want. But based on your own genetic makeup, there could be some disutilization involved there. Number seven, moving on. Nutrient depletion through medication and over-the-counter products. Boy, I'll tell you, this one really hits home for me because as much as I know that medications are important, they are a major culprit when it comes to nutrient depletions. You know, studies have found, and, and I say this because I work with a lot of elderly in my clinical practice. I am an adult geriatric nurse practitioner, and I have a huge elderly population. And studies have found that elderly who take three or more medications have found to be more likely to have vitamin D, B1, B2, B6, B9, and B12 deficiencies. Now, why is that important? Because your vitamin B, like boy, is critical for a lot of different functions in the brain, precursors for many of neurotransmitters and things that your brain need to your brain needs to function optimally. Okay. So I test for nutrient nutri, nutrient deficiencies very commonly in my practice, especially with my elderly. Medications are well known for causing side effects, nausea, drowsiness, you know, these are the kinds of side effects you notice and you can do something about. But as I said, a lesser known side effect that happens without giving you any warning is nutrient deficiency. Now, I will say this, taking most medications for a short amount of time won't usually lead to nutrient deficiency, usually. But long-term use is a different story. In some cases, a drug can interfere with your body's ability to absorb a nutrient from dietary sources. So for example, proton pump inhibitors, which are used to, or PPIs, used to reduce acid reflux and heartburn. Did you know that PPIs can keep you from absorbing vitamin B12 and low B12 levels in the blood can lead to confusion, muscle weaknesses, muscle weakness, and falls. Um, in other cases, medications can interfere with the natural processes needed to even produce nutrients. So let me give you an example of that. Statins or cholesterol-lowering drug, uh, drugs, they inhibit the production of coenzyme Q10 or CoQ10. Now, if you know anything about the Krebs cycle and how energy is produced in cells, 
CoQ10 plays a huge role in preserving the energy supply of our cells. So more often than not, if, you know, if, if I have a client or patient who is taking a statin, I am almost always investigating CoQ10 and looking for that as a supplement because that is a known, um, uh, uh, a known piece of science with statins and CoQ10, side effect, I should say. Um, And other medications may cause deficiencies of several nutrients at a time. So let me give you an example of that. Diuretics to lower the blood pressure can deplete magnesium, can deplete potassium and and calcium. Um, So that's important to know. Another medication, um, the Parkinson's drug, can, uh, um, cinnamon can reduce levels of bi- vitamin B6, B12, and folic acid. And none of this is to suggest that anyone should not be taking any medication. This is never, you know, medical advice on any level. This is all educational to, to know that these things happen and, and, and how this impacts your nutritional status. And then I just want to say, finally, as a number eight, I guess, is that's where we are, is just the natural course of aging. You know, let's be honest, folks. We are aging by the minute. If you are 22, in a minute, you'll be 30. If you're 30, look around in a minute, you'll be 40. I mean, it's just the price of being human. And the fact of the matter is, you know, our bodies are no different than cars, you know, uh, dishwashers, things get older, parts wear out. And depending on how we've, you know, led our lives, how much we've taken care of our bodies or not taken care of our bodies, the fact of the matter is we are aging. Even if we've done super well, ate all the right things, you know, exercise day after day, the fact of the matter is we are aging. And I just want to say that, you know, there are physiological changes associated with aging. You know, the number of neurons that we have in our brain starts to decrease. Muscle fibers shrink. Collagen loss in our skin and in the linings of, you know, uh, organs where there is, is collagen. Bone density decreases. We, you know, we know about osteoporosis. We know that there is, you know, decrease in elastin fibers in the lung. Our vital vital capacity, uh, the amount of, uh, you know, air that we're able to forcefully exhale in the lungs, that decreases. There's thickening of the lenses of the eyes. You know, there's there difficult there are different uh, changes in our um, in the way that you know uh, our intestines absorb nutrients. Our kidney size decreases, the amount of blood flow into the the kidneys, that decreases as we age. You know, growth hormone, that declines. And let's talk about the decline in hormones, testosterone and estrogen. So, you know, all of these things, you know, make it urgent for us to understand the role of nutrition and how to support our bodies with supplementation if needed, because the truth of the matter is there is no perfect diet. And even if you are eating all the right things, 
with the amount of stress that we're all undergoing, especially now during a pandemic, you know, you'd have to be eating an awful lot of oranges to get adequate intake of vitamin C and antioxidants, an awful lot of blueberries, an awful lot of, you know, uh, uh, citrus fruits, an awful lot of broccoli and, and spinach and things like this that are rich in vitamin C's and irons and things like this. So the fact of the matter is you can have the best diet, but given the role of, you know, soil health, environment, hormonal factors, environmental factors, as we discussed, the aging process, over-the-counter medications, prescription medications, given all of these factors, it makes sense that you've got to support your body at the elemental level with metabolism. You've got to support detoxification. You've got to support your immune system uh, in ways that help your body to function at its best. So in the part two of this topic, that's what we're going to get into. We're going to talk about supplements themselves, which are the supplements you need to really be thinking about day to day, and especially for healthy aging. We're going to talk about what those are and why and what to look for in quality supplements, because I don't believe that every supplement is necessary, but there are some key supplements that... um, are definitely warrant a good looking at, not the least of which are antioxidants and those that relate to giving the body the energy that it needs to sustain good function, um, especially in the light of the amount of stress that we are all under these days. So let's just jump on over to some actionable steps as we wrap up this episode. Number one, Pantry and product audit, folks. Come on, start reading those labels. If you purchase foods that have a label, (laughs) meaning, you know, frozen foods or foods in a can or foods in a box, look at the label. Have a look back on that label and see what the nutrient load is. Vitamin A, B, D, C, iron rich, you know, fiber, protein. Just start developing some level of awareness about the nutrition and of course match that up with the serving size. So, you know, if it's if a serving size is 2 cups and something's got, you know, 300 milligrams of sodium and you've got two, you know, cups of that, obviously that's going to be 600 milligrams of sodium. So you want to be fine-tuned into what's on your labels and, you know, pantry products, your produce, you know, my saying is The best food is the food that doesn't have a label most times. So now's a great time to move into actionable step number two, which is the CSAs and local produce. You know, uh, spring is is coming up in in a couple of days. We're going to be right on into that in April. Great time to get connected to a CSA, community-supported agriculture. I absolutely love local farmers markets and CSAs. Many of them can be quite affordable if you split it with a friend or a relative. So put that in Google and find out where your local CSA is, local produce, hopefully local farm, farmers markets, and have a talk with them. You know, it's easy to just say, you know, where's your farm and can I come out and visit and have a look at what their 
uh, farming methods are, be sure that they are actually local farmers and that they're not getting stuff shipped in from some other place. But now's a great time to just be really uh, super intentional about local CSAs, community supported agriculture, and making it really fun going in on it with a friend or family member. Actionable item number three, medication and OTC product audit. OTC stands for over-the-counter. You want to be really uh, judicious with your use of medications and over-the-counter products. And, you know, all of these commercials you see nowadays will say, ask your doctor about, you know, whatever the medication is. I always say, ask your pharmacist. You know, I absolutely love pharmacists so much. I mean, they're just my go-to resource for anything that pertains to medications. And you want to be asking not just about the drug or possible side effects, but possible nutrient deficiencies. You can go right up to the desk to your pharmacist and just say, Hey, you know, I listened to this great podcast called Healthy House Calls with Angel, and she recommended, you know, always tuning in to nutrient deficiencies. I just got prescribed this antibiotic or this medication. Are there any nutrient deficiencies that I should be aware of? Any interactions, any supplements that I need to be taking while I'm, you know, taking this medication? And you're not asking them for medical advice. You're really specifically asking about the medication or the -the over-the-counter product. Any pharmacist worth their salt is going to be really thrilled to get that question asked. And you want to be keyed into what those nutrient deficiencies are uh, in terms of medication and, as I said, over-the-counter products. So do an audit. Go through the things you already have on your shelf and just take a look. And the next time you're in your pharmacy, just ask, are there any possible nutrient deficiencies that I should be aware of? Um, Actionable item number four. EWG and the Non-GMO Project. I really like these two organizations because both of which are, um, both of them are organizations committed to preserving healthy access to food and a healthy environment. And just, you know, consumer education, making you aware of what GMOs really are, uh, GMO facts, GMO science, product verification, um, knowing where there are registered retailers and things like that of non-GMO project uh, uh, products. So you want to key into the Environmental Working Group, EWG, and the Non-GMO Project. Just pop both of those in Google, Google and, um, you know, create yourself a new, uh, email address and sign up for their newsletters. And then with your new email address, just use that for all the really good newsletters like mine and EWG and non-GMO. So you can get all of your great, healthy lifestyle information all in one place. So check out the EWG Environmental Working Group. They've got a great list of the Dirty Dozen uh, produce that is more likely to be uh, treated with pesticide than other produce. So you want to get that uh, list for 2021. And then you want to check out that non-GMO project because, as I said, they're doing good work with public education and public health education more specifically. And then actionable item number five, nutrient testing. 
I do this in my practice. I think it's just so important because of all of the things that we talked about today. It's a very simple test that you can do from the comfort and convenience of your own home. You test for vitamin and mineral deficiencies, organic acids, heavy metals and toxins, fatty acids, and just so much more. You get an understanding of what could be happening in your gut, the food mood connection. So looking at B vitamins, those precursors for the healthy neurotransmitters in your brain that actually, you know, lead to the production of serotonin that makes you feel good. So all of those answers are available in good nutrient testing. I do it in my practice with my patients and my coaching clients. My coaching clients take these uh, results back to their uh, healthcare provider, and then they're able to have more robust conversation about Um, you know, these deficiencies and how they may play a role in certain chronic health conditions, not the least of which is like, you know, hypertension, diabetes, cholesterol, high cholesterol, things like that. So you just want to be tuned in overall to your nutritional status and nutrient status with the, with the knowing that in an ideal world, eating the perfect diet with no stress in all of the right amounts of oranges and, you know, spinach and collards and all of this in that ideal world, you absolutely would be getting everything from your uh, food sources. But as you know, and as we've talked about today, we don't live in that ideal world. So you do have to be prepared to know where your deficiencies are and fill in those, those gaps. Okay. So I hope this episode has been helpful for you, educational for you. As I mentioned earlier, not medical advice, absolutely education for you to not only live longer, but live better. All the tips, tools, and strategies that you need to live longer, live better, and get fit and functional for life. So with that said, be on the lookout for the part two of this, of this, uh, of this episode, be on the lookout for some exciting news coming out about the fit and functional for life community. Want you to be part of that. Jump into the show notes, sign up for my newsletter, healthy house calls with angel. You will not be disappointed. I promise you that. So jump on over into those show notes. Please share this episode with a friend because knowledge is power and knowledge is only useful to the extent that you can apply it and share it. So thank you so much for tuning in. I'm looking forward to chatting with you again on the part two of nutritional supplementation. Until next time, be well and be good to yourself. Thank you for tuning in to Healthy House Calls with Angel. I hope today's episode leaves you feeling inspired, motivated, and empowered to live your best life by applying the practical tools of holistic lifestyle medicine to eat, sleep, move, and live better. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you receive this podcast, check in for show notes, and share this podcast with friends. If you'd like even more tips in your inbox, subscribe to my newsletter healthy house calls with angel by using the link in the show description until next time be well and be good to yourself